the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as, you, as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. For I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson is from Paul's letter to the Christians in Colossae, the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epithras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is the parable of the Good Samaritan that I read to you just a few moments ago. Jesus begins the parable of the Good Samaritan saying, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This story that Jesus tells may have actually come from the front pages of the Jerusalem News, as this type of crime was daily, a daily news item in Jesus' day. The road connecting Jerusalem to Jericho was a steep and rocky terrain, an ideal place for robbers to mug people and take their possessions. These thugs teach us something about how not to relate to other people. You see, the criminals operated on the principle that what is yours is mine. Our society is filled with such people who live according to this principle of what is yours is mine. And such people are often labeled as thieves, shoplifters, con artists, scammers, bullies, and dictators. But does one have to be a thief or a scammer or a bully to live according to the principle of what is yours is mine? Sadly, such ungodly behavior even seeps into the Christian church and contaminates it. Headlines that feature a pastor's indiscretions and a treasurer's embezzlement of funds are all examples of what is yours is mine being operative in the church today. Yes, that mentality, that godless mentality, seeps into the Christian church and so soils the name of Christ. This what is yours is mine attitude is not only found in the church, but it's also found in our society at large. I mean, have you ever heard of people possibly pirating, pirating a movie or song off the internet? Have you ever heard of people failing to report all their earned income on their taxes? Have you ever heard of somebody paying off the record for services done so that they could again avoid paying taxes? Have you ever heard of anybody coveting their neighbor's spouse? Or maybe claiming accolades for a job well done, even though these honors belong to someone else. Have you ever heard of someone taking a sick day simply because they wanted an extra long weekend? Have you ever heard of someone borrowing something from work and then not returning it? Or maybe belittling the accomplishments of a co-worker so as to inflate their own ego? These are just a few examples of how this what is yours is mine principle is evident in the society around us. Living according to this principle breeds mistrust and contempt. It drives wedges between friends. It destroys marriages and other family relations. It weakens cohesion in the workplace. It undermines the name of Christ and provides yet another reason why people reject Christ and his church. 
And it shatters the foundation of Christian fellowship. And it has the potential to bring God's condemnation upon the repentant or the unrepentant transgressor. And so today, it would do us well. But just take a moment for ourselves to ponder our own attitudes and our behaviors and to repent of those times when we have lived according to this principle of what is yours is mine. Well, we return to the parable. Jesus says, Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw the beaten man, he passed by the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These two verses are absolutely shocking, aren't they? I mean, you think that if anyone is going to help a man who is laying on the side of the road, beaten and half dead, it would be a holy man of God. But this is not the case, is it? In the story that Jesus tells. Because you see, these two men operate their life on the self-serving principle of what is mine, is mine. These two men are motivated by selfish thinking. Oh, they may be afraid that if they stop to help this man, that they too will be a victim of a robbery. Maybe it's all a ploy just to get them to stop so that the robbers can take from them their riches. They might be reluctant to help this man because if he's dead, they may make themselves ceremonially unclean if they touch him, and that would be quite an inconvenience because they'd have to go and get cleansed in the temple. And who wants that? Be inconvenienced. And they may be in a rush to get to their destination, so they have no time to stop and help this man. Whatever the reasons, the bottom line of their behavior is, what is mine is mine. Is their attitude or behavior uncommon? Do we not see their attitude and behavior manifested all around us and maybe even within us? I mean, if we ever heard anyone say, I work hard for what I have, why would I share it with that deadbeat? Or, sure, there's children that are starving to death, maybe even right in our own city, and certainly in other parts of the world, but I have my own bills to pay. I have my own family to feed. And haven't you ever heard charity begins where? At home. These statements are all indicative of the what is mine is mine mindset. When members of Christian congregations operate according to the what is mine is mine principle, then our self-interests negate our will to put the needs of others ahead of our own. And soon we find that petty bickering pecks away at the harmony and unity of God's people. Soon we find that the lost remain lost as members protect their turf. And the Lord's work remains undermanned and underfunded, undone. And as we live by the what is mine is mine principle, we would probably be wise to remember Jesus' other parable, the parable of the rich man who built bigger barns to store his harvest rather than to share the riches of his harvest with those who are in need. Jesus says in Luke 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
And so again, today, we would do well to stop and meditate upon ourselves and our own life and repent of those times in our life where we have lived according to the self-centered way of what is mine is mine. Martin Luther said, when Christians are baptized, they give ear to the gospel, they read the Holy Scriptures, they partake of Holy Communion, and they love their neighbor. With Jesus' warning and Luther's observation in mind, we return again to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, that is, that man that was beaten and half dead, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. What a surprise. What a shock it was for the people listening to Jesus tell this parable. A Samaritan, of all people, helps the beaten man. This is probably more shocking and appalling to Jesus' audience than the two religious men in his story who bypassed the half-dead man because, you see, the Jews despised the Samaritans. In their eyes, a Samaritan could do no good because he was no good. And yet, in Jesus' parable, the Samaritan is the one who is neighbor to the injured man. Jesus lifts up the Samaritan man as the person that we are to imitate. And why? Because the good Samaritan lives by the principle of what is mine is yours. The good Samaritan actually displays the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not simply the good Samaritan, but Jesus is the compassionate Samaritan. Some of you who have Facebook will know, if you've looked at our Facebook page at St. James, that I posted a meme that was from Chad Bird. And Chad Bird, in that meme, discusses the Greek word for compassion. And he observes that this word, which means a gut-wrenching, stomach-turning mercy, is used of Jesus numerous times in the Gospels. We're told in the Gospels that Jesus has compassion for people who are like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion for the sick. He has compassion for a widow. And in the parables, the Jesus figure of the, of the forgiving king and the father of the prodigal son and the Samaritan, they all show what? Compassion. And thus, Bird suggests that, and I'm quoting, rather than the good Samaritan, Jesus is the compassionate Samaritan. He is moved in his bowels with compassion. The giver of the gut-wrenching compassion in the innermost core of Jesus is love. For us. Yes, Jesus is the good, compassionate Samaritan. That is, Jesus Christ sees that we are attacked, attacked by sin, beaten spiritually by Satan and his thugs, 
and mortally and eternally wounded by death. And Jesus knows that we are helpless to rescue ourselves. And so God's Son, Jesus Christ, comes to us lifeless as we are and left for dead as we are. And he resuscitates us to life. He bandages up our wounds and he provides for all of our needs. He says to you and he says to me, I will give my life for you. And so Jesus takes our place on the cross of Calvary. He endures his Father's fury for our sins so that we are forgiven of all of our sins, the sins of covetousness, the sins of greed and selfishness and lust and theft and indifference and cold-heartedness and all the other transgressions that we commit. He dies for them all. And then Jesus comes to us in our baptism and he promises what is mine is yours. My father is your father. My righteousness is your righteousness. My victory over Satan and sin in the grave is your victory over Satan, sin, and the grave. My peace is your peace. My joy is your joy. And my eternal home of glory is your eternal home of glory. What is mine is yours. Jesus, our gracious Savior, says to us. And think of the difference that Jesus' attitude of living by the principle of what is mine is yours makes in our life. I mean, we who were once orphans are now through holy baptism the beloved children of God. We who were once enemies of God are now friends invited to his table to partake of the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We who were once under God's condemnation for our sin are now pardoned for our sin. As St. Paul assures us in the epistle lesson for today when he writes, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we who were once doomed to eternal death are now promised by our Lord Jesus Christ life everlasting with him. Think of the differences in the world if everyone lived their lives like the good, compassionate Samaritan. What is mine is yours. Might the starving masses be fed? Might the homeless have a place to call their own? Might crime decline? Might millions of unborn children see life outside of the womb? Might more children have their father actually living in their home with them? And might people be less inclined to seek euthanasia? Just think of the difference it would make in the Christian church if everyone in the church lived like their Savior. What is mine is yours. I mean, the work of the church would be done without the frustration of having to bend people's arms to get them to do something. There would be ample money to do the Lord's work. In fact, there would be a surplus of money so that we might be able to support and initiate new mission outreach. 
petty conflicts, well, they would be abolished. Scandals would be non-existent. And all the members of the church would be sharing the responsibility of carrying out the everyday functions of the congregation. People would be hearing the message of Christ. God's heart would be bubbling with joy. Because he'd see people working, his people working in harmony. And unbelievers being converted to faith in Christ. And think of the difference it would make in our homes if everyone lived according to the principle of what is mine is yours. We may hear less of these words, it's mine, no, it's mine, give it back. Instead, we'd hear, you can have it. I'd like to share it with you. The home would be a place of warmth and stability as husband and wife selflessly submit to one another out of love or out of reverence for Christ. Parents and children would live together in harmony. Sibling rivalry would be replaced with sibling collaboration. Yes, just think how different our lives would be if people lived like Jesus. What is mine is yours. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, get real, Pastor Schaefer. I mean, you're describing heaven on earth, and that's a utopian dream. But am I being unrealistic? Did Jesus not conclude his parable by saying to the man, go and do likewise? Be that compassionate, good Samaritan? Well, in a sense, maybe I'm being unrealistic, eh? Because we do live in a fallen world. We're fallen people. And we'll always be tempted, we'll always be inclined to live according to the principles of what is yours is mine, and what is mine is mine. But as we heard in the Old Testament lesson in Leviticus 19, the Lord expects us to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Leviticus 19, 19 we hear that the farmer was not to reap right to the edge of the fields, but to leave some of the harvest for the poor. Why? So that the poor could come and harvest what was left. And the same is true of the vineyard owner. They're not to strip the vineyard bare, nor harvest the fallen grapes, but they're to be left for the poor and the sojourner. And God says to the people in Leviticus, they're not to steal or to lie, they're not to oppress or rob their neighbor, they're not to play favorites, they're not to be partial to the poor or deferring to the prominent citizen. No, they're to love their neighbor as themselves. And we, who are the recipients of our Savior's benevolent deeds, as we as, as he lived and died by the selfless principle of what is mine is yours, so we also, as people who have been pardoned and healed by the blood of Jesus, as people who have been restored to life so that we might glorify God through our words and deeds, as people who now have the Spirit of the Lord living in us through God's word, we are called to live our lives the way that our Lord Jesus Christ lived and the way that he continues to minister to us to this day. What is mine is yours. In a world of greed and consumerism, followers of Jesus Christ live differently. We are people of generosity 
and selflessness. We are people who are governed by compassion. We are good Samaritan people. And so St. Paul's prayer for the Colossian Christians that we heard in the epistle lesson for today is my prayer for us. May we be so filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and in increasing in the knowledge of God. Yes, my prayer and my encouragement to you is to you this day is to live your life like the good Samaritan, like the compassionate Samaritan, Jesus Christ. What is mine is yours. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.